Good morning, and welcome to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. I'm your host, John Sumpser, and today we're going to be talking with Ben Weber, who is the president and co-founder of Humanize, and a fairly regular guest here on the show. Ben, how are you? Ben? Hi, could that possibly be the... There you are. I lost you there for a second. Apologies for that. It's uh, all the magic of working from home and uh, spotty Wi-Fi coverage when I'm trying to call through Wi-Fi. So now I'm on my cell signal, and it should be much better. Well, welcome to the party. So so how are you, Ben? And, and would you take a moment and, and introduce yourself more deeply? Sure. So doing well. My name's uh, Ben Weber. I'm one of the co-founders, and I'm the president of Humanize, and that's a workplace analytics company that's off of the PhD research that my co-founders and I were doing at MIT, really around trying to use data about how people interact and collaborate at work. Think you know, email, chat, meeting data. <laughs> when we're all in offices, also look at sensor data to try to understand how people interact in a face-to-face setting. But really trying to use that to see how do behavioral patterns and communication patterns predict changes in things like performance, engagement, what have you. Um, and we've written a lot you know, academically on the topic, but, you know, now as a company, we've grown to a point where, you know, we're deployed across every single employee at some of the biggest companies in the world. Again, start to say some more general things um, around uh, how people work, um, and obviously also in the near term, how that's been uh, how that's been changing. Well, it must be it must be a kind of a crazy time because because uh, the heart of the original work had to do with physical interaction, and now. Um, physical interaction is almost um, a fond memory. So, so what was it like to go through that change? That, that must have happened kind of abruptly. Yeah, I think it was very interesting because, you know, I, I can speak obviously for my own experience, which probably everyone has this version of a story where, you know, in the U.S. at least, you're getting into March and starting to be concerned that there's going to have to be, uh, you know, some pullback from the office for some period of time and really unclear how long even that, that would be. Um, and then, you know, we started to spend time uh, really at the beginning of February, at least thinking about what were we likely going to lose? I'm um, just given our own data around um, us, you know, humanize as a company uh, starting to work remotely. Um, and, and then, you know, I think a lot of the things that we planned have actually been uh, fairly effective, but, but also that they've still been inadequate. And, and I think that's what's been interesting, not just for us, but also looking at our, at our customers, which are, you know, in almost every country in the world, the, the speed with which we've seen behaviors change is really unprecedented, at least in our data. And I don't think that's maybe surprising to anybody, but I mean, just to give you a sense of how quick that was. Right? So if I look pre-pandemic, the average information worker globally had 2.9 close contacts. So the definition essentially is these are people that you spend an hour or more with in one-on-one communication a week. Right? They're people who you work with very closely. Right? And that's the average. And if you go look by any month over the past year plus, that number, you know, even as we add new customers, even as global things changed, it wouldn't move by much more than, you know, 0.05 a month. I mean, 
it was very stable. All of a sudden, you get to uh, you know the end of March, and that number skyrocketed to over six, right? Which is just crazy. And we could talk about why that likely is, but that is uh, you know a very rapid change in how people collaborate, and I think there's a lot of reasons for that. But it's also something that it would have been very, very hard to predict that exact magnitude of change beforehand, even looking at, you know, previous, you know, employees or companies that had people working remotely. It's a very different thing. Um, And so that's, it's been interesting to look at. And obviously, um, you know, a challenge for, for even us, even who have all this data on how we collaborate, it's still a challenge to continually try to adapt to these changes because, what we've, what we've just seen is even when we find something that seems to make a positive impact on how people collaborate and work, it's typically a limited time effect. And then after a month or two, you need to switch it up and try something else. So that, that's interesting because what you're saying, I think, is that we went from – tiny little clusters of collaboration with a lot of support wrapped around us to expanded clusters with less support wrapped around us. Is that fair? How would you, how I, would I you like characterize that. the change? I, yeah, well, I, I like that conceptualization in that if, if we look at, say, the people who are your close collaborators now by this definition, these are still people that you worked with pre-pandemic. It's not like they just appeared out either and you started communicating with them. It's more that, again, you had to elevate certain relationships because, to your point, the supporting structures around them are weaker. If you know, we were in one or two meetings together a week, um, but that you know, occasionally we'd bump into each other in the office, or one of you know, a person we know in common would you know sits near me, and as we're chatting, he says, "Oh yeah, did you actually hear?" There's some problem with the budget on this project, right? Um, those are the things that are extremely difficult to make happen when people work remotely. And we don't really think about those consciously as a really important part of our work, but that when it comes to the structure of how we collaborate and how information flows, they really are critical. And so I think people have you know, realized that if we don't proactively schedule Explicit, you know, meetings and information exchange, then we're going to miss a lot of things. Right? This is totally accurate. At the same time, further out into the, the weaker parts of your network, it is the need for those conversations is a lot less clear. You know, this person who I bump into by the coffee machine for five minutes every, you know, once every two weeks, should I schedule a Zoom meeting with them once a month? Like, I, I don't know. As an individual, it's almost impossible for me to, to know if that actually worth my time. And some of them might not be. And that, you know, the cost of doing that, of having those interactions in an office environment is quite low, whereas not just in a work-from-home environment, but also just emphasize in a pandemic environment where it's likely you've got other things on your mind. It could be, you know, you're taking care of your kids at home like I am, or it could be that, you know, you, there's, there's literally wildfires outside your house and you're trying to figure out what to do. I mean, all these things uh, do, do impact what would otherwise be a, uh, you know, much more frictionless, you know, information exchange. And I think that that 
um, that has had some some really strong effects on on our networks. So, so you know, in my work, my my work has completely transformed as the result of the dynamic that we're talking about. So, so I would talk to. Well, maybe maybe a slightly larger group than you're describing, three or four of the same people every week for an hour or so. And then I spent a lot of time in a lot of conference rooms in a lot of cities with a lot of people who I would only interact with once or twice a year for five or ten minutes apiece. But that's where I learned everything. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, yeah. And, yeah. Um, um, I, uh, in the absence of that, it feels like the world gets very insular, and it feels like um, the loose connections that allow sparks to happen are muffled. Um, and it, it's much harder to see, for me, in my work than, than it was in the past, because that next layer out in the network and the next layer beyond that out in the network are simply, they should not exist for me any longer. Um, and there's no way to schedule those transactions because I've got yeah. this hammer and nails called Zoom and I can schedule I can schedule a meeting as short as 15 minutes, but they don't work. Um, yeah. And, and so, so I am limited to these fat interactions with people um, that have formal structures around them and no time going in and leaving the meeting to exchange stuff. And so, so it's a very different world work. And I wonder all the time whether or not we're actually producing the same value that we used to produce because the work methods have changed so completely and abruptly. I really think that a lot of the changes that we're seeing, like you described, they are they they are starting to show up, right, in economic output. But it is very hard to disentangle right now, and maybe forever, the impact of changes in collaboration patterns from really real impacts and changes to things like supply chains, uh, you know, f- uh, finances as well. And you know, if you look at and obviously there's companies like. The iPhone, believe the new iPhone is getting delayed, right? and you could chalk that up to, hey, we have supply chain issues. Uh, at the same time, you could also chalk that up to, we're not able to collaborate effectively on hardware because there's a lot of physical collaboration that needs to happen. But you are also seeing in software companies, you're actually starting to see real delays in um, in product releases and, and things like that. And I'm starting to work on a piece to to really make that clearer. But that is really my concern, and I do think it's important to point out that it is not impossible to have these conversations virtually. It just is much harder, and there are likely cultural changes, like you're talking about, that need to happen uh, for us to do that effectively. Um, again, I've just personally started to do things where for people who I you know, might see once or twice a year at conferences, I, I just you – know, every week I've scheduled a couple of calls just to catch up with people. Um, which has been nice, but I will point out that even though those calls are helpful, I can do that because these people are already part of my extended network. I already know these people, not super well, but I do know them. Um, What's much harder than even that is trying to meet new people. Um, That's where you get even 
better and newer ideas. And those are the things that I personally haven't found a great way to do that uh, virtually. Again, it's not to say I've made zero connections over the past, you know, six plus months, but it's been significantly less than previously. And something we see in our data as well, not just even in my role sort of like yours that I'm actually between lots of organizations, but when you look at new employees coming into organizations, there also appears to be a much slower rate of new tie connection compared to previously. And I do wonder what the impact of that is going to be. You know, research would say that is definitively going to impact the uh, novelty of new products, the speed of their release, things like that. But I also wonder about the actual long-term impact on the careers of especially folks who are just getting started um, or people who are still, you know, in frontline roles because these weak ties and creating new ties are the things that very strongly correlate with increased promotion rates and job mobility. And I, I do wonder if there's going to be this group of people who are at a critical time in their careers now that are for the long term going to be heavily negatively impacted because they aren't going to have the same types of networks as people who are who came before them, but also people who come after them, you know, presumably after we get this under control. I think that is also mm, just lost it there. Uh, let's see. Did you uh, hear the end of that? Or is this any better? No, no. You dis you disappeared into the ether. I think I think maybe. Okay. Well, again, what? it's just sort of more more illustrations of uh, of some of the challenges here. And in this case, it's that my uh, you know my phone decides that when I get a call, even if I'm on another call, that it's best to actually pause the current call that I'm on. So that is fascinating, but also makes for poorer dynamics and conversations, which also uh, degrades the quality of those uh, those interactions. So. Again, just more more evidence of things that, you know, in person you might have to deal with a little bit in terms of someone interrupting you, but the social cues are much more there. So again, apologies for the uh, uh, for that, folks. Oh, it's 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 a great example. You you know, we're we're in the middle of these uh, this this ridiculous weird sky and smoke here uh, in California, and one of the things that you notice is that that one's phone, my phone, when I go to have it look at the sky, my phone wants to make the sky prettier, right? And so, so, so you see lots of people showing examples of a picture of the sky and a picture of what the phone wants you that the sky looks like. And, and so we're starting to see weird errors in all of these systems that assumed there was a kind of stability that may not actually be there. Um, and, yeah. and I imagine yeah. you're seeing consequences like that too in the organizations. I mean, I think that's one of the other questions. I mean, it's something that we've been thinking about a lot in that a lot of our metrics and predictions, you know, were obviously developed you know, with pre pandemic data. And that when you look at, the question is how much do they apply to what we see today? It's actually I don't think they're applicable at all. I do think they're they're quite applicable. And at the same time, I do think there's a question of, for example, you know, pre-pandemic, if you worked from home, essentially more than 
1.5 days on an average week, it was very likely that your network was significantly different than people who are in the office, you know, uh, for like more than that, right? So, uh, you know, 3.5 days or more per week. And I do wonder that because people now, you know, for example, and again, if you go above that, I really worry about retention and you could predict like the likely attrition to people or likely performance impact to the team based on just that simple fact. However, I do wonder if that has shifted. And it's something that we're just very cautious when we're looking at sort of what is the exact impact of changes we're seeing in networks now. Again, we're starting to see some, you know, hard KPIs that we can definitively tie to changing collaboration patterns that has taken, you know, at this point, six plus months to really be able to show. Um, but I do think it, it's not going to be exactly equivalent to what we saw pre-pandemic because this is such an extraordinary period. And so I, I do think that whenever you're using algorithms or technology to try to interpret a very abnormal situation, to your point, you get the same effect where it's going to try to look through the lens of what is normal. And this, what, what's going on right now is very much not normal. And so you don't want to get a picture of the organization that's just color corrected, because, even though everything's on fire. Um, you want to be able to understand what that state is. And it's just, I don't think there's an easy answer to how to keep correcting for that. It really is just constant effort to see, all right, you know, validating what we've been using before, what things appear to be no longer valid. And it's something that as we at least build our, you know, our organizational health models, it's something that we're just, we constantly look at in, you know, if I go back seven months, things were a lot more stable and it looked like we could look at these changes a lot less frequently. And now it's something where, I, I mean, on a nearly weekly basis, you've got to look at it because you just, you need to see if there's anything fundamentally, you know, different that's going on, uh, you know, that's been going on at least for the past month. So, so I'm going to stretch you on this next question. It seems to me that, that since the cotton mill, since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, the the pattern in society has been if you can find something repeatable and you can make that happen automatically you can make a lot of money and you don't have to work as hard right and that's sort of the engine of industrialization is is repetitive motions can be done automatically um, and and that produces wealth because the labor can fall out of the equation I think we might be headed in an era where there isn't that much repetitive motion, right? That, that part of what yeah. we're seeing is, is, is the places where lots and lots of little tiny increments of apparently repetitive motion produced all this value, and now we're cut off from those things, and we have to figure out how to create the value in narrower constructs. And I, I think that means more hard work and less mm, wealth creation through automation. But I don't know. Have you thought about that? I think that there's likely still a decent amount of mileage for automation to go. Um, I, 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 I don't think, but at the same time, I'm not subscribing to this idea that that means that, you know, 90% of people aren't going to have jobs in 20 years or something. I think that is ludicrous, even just from a technological perspective and just, um, you know, I've done a lot of research in this area. Uh, you know, th there are things that for humans seem very, very simple. 
um, that computers are just literally, you know, 100 years away at least from doing things. And obviously there can be some radical changes that happen. But what's very interesting is if you look at the actual improvements in the outputs of, you know, different automation technologies, look at AI, if you look at robotics, it's not from fundamentally new algorithms. It's not like there's been some discoveries over the past 10, 20 years that are just, you know, so crazy that that's what's driving these changes, just the amount of data. It's just that we're using the same algorithms that were developed in the 80s, but that instead of having 10 data points, you have 10 billion data points. And guess what? You know, you can do a lot better with statistics, which is what these things are, and repeating things out that you can't otherwise. But I do think that more and more of the low-hanging fruit is being taken and is being is you know, automated away, and there's less and less of that that we can do. But that what that leaves is a lot of the stuff that people are very, very good at and the computer is very, very bad at, and that that is, to your point, this less repetitive stuff. And this idea that, you know, which was probably antiquated, you know, 30, 40 years ago or even was developed, this idea that people are cogs in a machine and I can just optimize the hell out of a single action and I'm just going to get more output and I'm going to make more money if I own that company. I think that is less, a lot less true today. And it's, it's, it's something where more and more of the work, even things that do seem, you know, maybe on the face of it to be, you know, very simple, actually have so much tacit knowledge built in and are, you know, even things like, um, you know, carpentry that might seem like, hey, this is an old thing, this should be super simple. It's actually extremely complex. And to say that um, there's going to, are going to be people who take a naive approach to try to, um, to optimize these things from a just single unit perspective, but that the real benefits and actually where higher performance comes from, it, it's not from doing a single action 5% better. It's from completely rethinking how you do this thing so that you save 90% of the time. And that is the majority of what work has become is a lot less about these, these, you know, Thing, like individual roles with individual outputs that have little interface with other things, it is increasingly, you know, more and more intermeshed work that the primary output is a collaborative product, which requires, which higher performance there is about thinking differently and doing things radically differently rather than optimization. And I do think that is an important point. So, so let me shift just a little bit further. Uh, you've, you've been doing some work with organizational health at Humanize. Tell me about that and t- tell me if, if, if you're comfortable with where the science of organizational health is at this point. As I mentioned a little bit earlier, it's something where we have, we've been very cautious about this because we wanted to make sure that if we're going to put a stake in the ground on organizational health, that we have enough data such that when we get, you know, new customers or when we uh, get new data from existing customers, that it doesn't change very, the distributions don't change very much. And we don't have to get into the, uh, you know, mathematical explanation about why that is, but it is, it was really important for us to make sure that we were doing something valid. And so, like I mentioned, it is at this point now where there's a number of just basic things about work that I can say with a very high level of confidence, right, around, you know, how much time do people spend in meetings? How much 
do people collaborate with their boss? Um, that I can actually say, and the answer that I can give from our data is going to be almost exactly what the global average is going to be. Right? And that's pretty interesting because it's not to say we're deployed across every single company in the world. It's just that the distribution we have so far has gotten to a point where, yeah, we can say those things. And, and so the challenge has always been to maybe convey those actionable behavioral metrics to you know, both managers as well as leadership at companies who haven't worked with this kind of data before, right? How to get their heads around, well, how should this imply that I, you know, change my onboarding program or change where people are located or what communication tools we use? And so what we did is also build up those metrics into things, you know, into higher level uh, concepts that then, you know, things like engagement and productivity that people can understand. And that also we've been able to show that, Hey, even if you don't have hard KPIs on those things, if you've done engagement surveys, if you've done you know, product, if you have productivity metrics, I can show that our, you know, that our definition of that and our metric of that, right, and our benchmark on that, does correlate quite strongly. You know, we're talking, you know, R squareds of you know 0.6, which, again, we don't have to get too injured. If you're in the social sciences, that's like God's word, basically. So it's, it's very strong, right? And so we know we can do that. At the same time, we do know we're not capturing the entire essence of things like engagement. And it's always important to note that, um, again, data from surveys, from human observations are an important component to understanding these things, but that we've, you know, what we're really focused on and really good at is understanding this behavioral data. And so, you know, really trying to get to a point where when an organization starts to look at these analytics, first you can see, hey, where do you stack up globally against other companies? Where should you focus your attention? Right? that which teams, which departments are really suffering. Um, but then also importantly, really being able to quickly see if the changes you're making are likely going to improve uh, you know, the health of the organization. So I think there's been a ton of work we've done there um, to get it to this point. And so it's been pretty exciting to, uh, you know, to now we can actually talk about these numbers. Um, and, but I think there's always going to be more work to do there. And we're always trying to expand our, our models. But I do think that this, this is an important step for organizations to actually um, be able to look at themselves and be able to put some hard numbers and on, on how they're doing. And I think eventually externally it's something that companies are, you know, frankly, whether it's our metric or someone else's, I do think this is something that, you know, eventually um, if you're a public company, you're going to have to report this stuff out. Um, and so I think we're seeing a lot of folks jump on that already, but it's a, uh, it's quite exciting. It's, it's been, you know, to work on this for what, I guess, you know, nearly 15 years and to be able to get to a point where we can, can really definitively say stuff like this is, uh, yeah, that's what we've been working on for a long time. So sort of finally getting to that point. That's, that's gotta be my favorite thing about you and human eyes is that it's a scientific endeavor about exploring the edges of things. It's been a, it's been a great conversation. Um, thanks for doing this. Would you take a moment and reintroduce yourself? Definitely. So again, Ben Weber, one of the co-founders and the president of Humanize. And uh, yeah, again, thanks, John. Really enjoyed uh, enjoyed the discussion as always. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Really, thanks for doing this. You've been listening to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. We've been talking with Ben Weber, who is the president and co-founder of Humanize. Um, you should take a look at them on the web. It is the advanced guard in what um, organizational analysis looks like going forward. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you back here next week. And thanks again, Ben. 
bye-bye now. Mm-hmm.